Simon, thanks so much for your time today. Yeah, pleasure, Liam. So the sustainability goals are quite a bit greater than what we've had in the past. How are they comparing to other states and where we are at the moment? Well, the, the situation across Australia is that the states are really stepping up. They understand the, the need to respond to the warming climate, but equally they understand the enormous economic opportunity that this transition to clean energy and the low-carbon economy offers. So they are really seizing the opportunity uh, and investing massively in renewables and other uh, low-carbon initiatives. The, the federal government has been very slow to move. We've seen in the media a lot of pressure on the federal government to set uh, net zero targets, uh, but but in a sense, the states are, um, are 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 really taking the lead. They're showing the leadership on carbon reduction, and um, and and particularly here in New South Wales, uh, under the uh, the auspices of Matt Keane, the New South Wales Environment Minister, uh, there has been some really strong commitments to net zero. So I suppose the other question is for the consumers themselves: is anxieties over electric vehicles in particular the idea that range anxiety because there isn't enough. Uh, charging stations in the regions. Is there going to be any sort of consumer investment from the state government? Uh, there is. So the New South Wales government announced a, uh, a, a range of investments, half a billion dollars to support uh, EVs and EV infrastructure um, over the coming coming few years. Um, so we're going to see a significant rollout of electric vehicle infrastructure across the region. Uh, that's great for, for locals here in the central west and also really important for our tourism industry to attract uh, Sydney Ciders and Canberrans uh, and others from further afield to come and enjoy our beautiful region. Um, but equally, we're also seeing the uh, development of much cheaper electric vehicles. They have been positioned in the market as a bit of a luxury uh, to date, but um, we're seeing uh, some of the Korean and Japanese car manufacturers and also the Chinese car manufacturers uh, launch electric vehicles. So uh, next year, for example, there are electric vehicles slated to be under the $40,000 Mark, so family saloons, cars that are much more accessible to people, um, and uh, and 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 there will be subsidies from the New South Wales government to encourage people to buy electric vehicles, obviously because they're uh, they're cleaner uh, for the environment, and people can also uh, charge them at home from their solar panels, so they can plug in at home if they've got a um, a charger, and these chargers are becoming really quite quite cost effective. So over the next few years, we're going to see cheaper vehicles with a longer range, and we're going to see the New South Wales government and indeed our local government and private organisations invest in charging infrastructure. This is a tremendous opportunity. It's an economic opportunity in terms of the uptake of electric vehicles. Um, it's, uh, it's also a wonderful opportunity for us to reduce our pollution levels in our cities and our regional towns, and it's a really fantastic opportunity to build uh, tourism infrastructure for people from the cities to come out and enjoy um, enjoy the Central West. The other impact that is going to be quite significant, pretty broad impact that is going to have on farmers, what changes now for people who are on the land? Well, I think there are, there are a few changes. First of all, um, renewable energy uh, is by far and away the cheapest option now for people looking for, for, for on-farm power. And we're already seeing farmers across the Central West adopt uh, a range of solutions, solar, wind, and some hybrid solutions as well for on-farm power, which is really exciting. Uh, there was a renewable energy and agriculture uh, conference in Dubbo back in May, and there was real excitement there. Uh, hundreds of people attended uh, 
um, primary producers and technology providers and other to discuss this opportunity and this opportunity is now really real so just in terms of um, cost reduction on farm there are some fantastic renewable energy opportunities as well um, electric vehicles will also pose another great opportunity for farmers and longer term we hope that um, that hydrogen will be a clean and cheaper source of fuel to power uh, tractors and other um, other heavy vehicles. Um, so that's a, that's a cost side. We should see significant cost reduction on farm, but also uh, from an income perspective, there will be great sources of income, as I alluded to earlier, both in terms of farmers who generate royalties from uh, wind turbines on their land uh, to other opportunities through initiatives like carbon farming. So being able to farm in a way that uh, farmers are essentially paid to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases or to reduce greenhouse gases on their on their farms. And there's a whole host of quite clearly defined projects um, that um, the farmers can uh, can jump on and um, and introduce on farm uh, through the federal government's emissions reduction fund. And this this carbon market, this demand for projects that take greenhouse gas out of the air, is set to increase exponentially over the next five to ten years as corporations uh, and other organisations seek to align themselves with commitments made by the state government uh, to reducing uh, the amounts of greenhouse gases or carbon in the atmosphere. So, And it is really interesting that the corporations have had that, I suppose, imperative to take the carbon out of the air. The relationship between them and the farmers is really quite a broad one. They are in essentially paying the farmers to manage their soils in a particular way to take the carbon out of the air. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. But importantly, investors now are starting to hold these businesses to account. So mm. Woolies and Coles and, uh, and Aldi and, uh, um, and IGA and all of these supermarkets that we have on our high streets, uh, their, their investors are asking, what are you doing about climate change? And so they too are looking at their supply chains and there's a real incentive for them to support farmers to make uh, to produce the food that we need, but equally to produce that food in an environmentally and economically sustainable way. So pressure from stakeholders on all of these organisations and, and indeed same in our communities. We're seeing pressure in the community, uh, on businesses, on councils, um, to, to really think about the environmental impacts and to make sure that we're all aligning to the, uh, to the goals that have been set to date predominantly by the state governments. And ultimately, we do know that there is going to be some form of impact on farmers. We've already seen incredible sort of variations in cl uh, climate and weather situations, even just this year. Will the, I understand that the um, carbon trading themselves, they're going to be, provide a, a sort of a diversity of income for farmers in years where it might be a bit tough. Well, look, I think it's going to be tough anyway, right? I think, you know, we know that we have locked in um, um, a change in climate. We know that that's going to continue. Uh, the prognosis is for... Um, for uh, longer periods of, of, of drought um, and for intermittent heavier rainfalls in the central west. That's, uh, that's what, um, uh, what the Bureau of Meteorology and CSIRO is telling us. Um, so the question is how do we best manage that? And one of the ways to manage that is through diversification. And the great thing about some of these carbon schemes is that they help address the, uh, the need to reduce our greenhouse gases, but they also provide um, little pieces of insurance for farmers to generate income from alternative sources, whether that be through voluntary carbon schemes um, or whether it be through 
royalties from renewables or indeed other other similar um, projects. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think, I suppose we can have a real discussion about agriculture and climate change without at least addressing the, the burping cows. They've sometimes been used as a bit of a reductionist argument. Could you take us through what the issues actually are here? Oh, look, I think the burping cows are a bit overdone and I think farmers feel quite understandably that um, it's a bit overstated and I think it probably is. Um, that said, it is important to to understand that the cows are very large emitters of, of methane. So they, they, they burp and they fart and, um, and this methane goes into the atmosphere and our, our desire for protein and indeed Asia's desire for Australian grown protein, which is understandable again because it's always of supreme quality, mm. um, uh, the, 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 our, our, our desire for high levels of protein um, means that there is a lot of methane being emitted by by livestock, and um, uh, and I think um, I think the real issue there is getting a bit more of a balance around that, and uh, and and not saying everybody needs to become vegetarian overnight because that's neither realistic nor indeed is it probably attainable, but I think we do need to have a more balanced approach to our our farming mix, and um, and, and and indeed in our own day to day diets, you know we, we are um, here in Australia we are ferocious meat eaters. Our appetite for protein is one of the highest per capita in the world. And I think um, we, we certainly need to address that and we need to just um, perhaps eat a little bit less uh, meat in our diets um, and balance that more. Uh, but it's totally unrealistic, I think, to, uh, to expect people to, um, to move to vegetarianism. And frankly, I don't want to do that, and I'm sure you don't either. No, I think the interesting point that you raised there, though, is that a lot of the onus has been throughout a lot of the climate debate to be put on individual change and individual responsibility to change things like, uh, you know, eating less meat. What And you did mention before that the pressure is being put on places like Aldi and all the other supermarkets and you know, RGA, Woolworths, Coles, to work with the farmers to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions and to create more sustainability. Is there going to be, because of these new um, targets, more institutional change in terms of how much demand the supermarkets are supposed to going to create through the you know prominent placement of meats, through the marketing of meats? Is that going to have any significant change? Well, look, I don't think we should focus um, necessarily on meat. I think uh, the meat and livestock industry in Australia is being really innovative in trying to reduce the amount of greenhouse gases that are emitted through um, through the production of, 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 of protein product. Um, for example, there's just fantastic schemes here in New South Wales um, where um, where uh, um, uh, beef cattle are being fed on seaweed and uh, and this is being shown to reduce um, uh, the methane emissions quite significantly. So there are other there are other things that we can be doing. And that's really interesting that you said the MLA are committed to that uh, net neutrality. Is that going to be achieved primarily through offsets? Uh, no, I'm, uh, I'm from memory, and I haven't looked at the plan for a while. But I think um, uh, there are there are things such as the initiative that I mentioned that are going on to really alter the the, the, the core business. And look, it's not just in livestock Australia. We're seeing you know, New South Wales farmers. Um, uh, we're seeing it across the board is that the uh, the farming industry has always been a hub of innovation. Farmers have had to innovate almost out of necessity, um, uh, but also um, uh, um, uh, to um, to really take advantage of market opportunities. That's um that's reassuring. I understand, however, that you know a lot of our listeners 
who are farmers today are going to be wondering what the cost of all of this is. And it is a noble goal to be, um, you know, reducing our emissions by this amount. But we have come out of a drought and we are a lot of a lot of people in the Central West are just paying off their debts that they accrued during the drought. What sort of, and I understand that you've already mentioned there are subsidies available for farmers. Are they going to be, in your view, sufficient to fund these uh, changes to the core businesses that you've described? Well, Liam, if we focus on energy alone, the renewables is by far and away the cheapest uh, for energy um, generation. So solar, wind are, um, are way cheaper than their fossil fuel counterparts. So transitioning to renewables, for example, is actually cheaper for farmers to do that, and many farmers are already doing that. But that is, those upfront capital costs, they're significant. And is there going to be support available for that? Um, again, I'm not really in a position to uh, to comment on that. There are certainly some uh, some sources of funding available for uh, for regional communities, uh, but I think um, I think there is probably a view that um, that now that these options are cheaper, um, that um, uh, that um, that the subsidies for them will probably slowly slowly melt away. But that said, we are seeing uh, we are seeing investment and in subsidies from New South Wales government, as I said, for electric electric vehicle transitions, which is really encouraging, uh, and um, and I'm sure some of those some of those will continue. Look, I could keep asking questions all day. It's a huge time of change, Dr. Simon Wright. Thanks so much for your time. A total pleasure, Liam. Anytime.